1: Welcome to the Shining Mind podcast. I'm Dr. Selena Bartlett. I'm a neuroscientist and I'm your host. And I am super excited because I am here today with Sobia Safar. And I think you're just going to love her story because as you know, what we're doing in the second series is trying to bring out and demonstrate the and put a really beautiful light on female intelligence and just show you what is happening in the world. So today um, I'm going to have Sobi introduce herself and then we're going to just have a lovely conversation about what she's done in her life, um, where she's lived all over the world, her beautiful children, her business and her latest entrepreneurial activity also around helping women have the courage to succeed and go into transformational leadership positions so that we can change the world. So, thank you for being with us here today, and please introduce yourself to everyone. Thank you, and really excited to be on the show first, and
0: thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's wonderful that you know, you're know you showcasing so many wonderful women who can be role models, so that's absolutely fantastic. I, well, how I want to introduce myself is that I'm a mom to two beautiful and curious kids. And that's what I love to do, parenting. Besides that, I love coaching and training women to rise to their full potential and create success on their own terms, whatever that means for them, staying at home, leading the world, changing the world, or doing nothing
1: at all, whatever makes them happy. So how did you come to do this? Like you gave an amazing TEDx talk so people can search and find you where you talk about your story, but like, where did it all start for you, this kind of journey? I don't know, to be
0: honest. But where I knew that things had to change was when I had a swear burnout. I was so busy in my corporate job, struggling every day with young children. That's where I just continued. I did not stop because I thought this is what everybody does. If everybody can do it, I can do it. And you know, once you graduate from university, you're handed over that goal list. Go and achieve those goals. So those goals actually start ruling your life before you realize it. So I was busy taking one goal after
1: another. So you were living in Switzerland, weren't you? At some point?
0: Yeah, I lived in Switzerland for quite a few years. I went to university there. Then I started working with the United Nations. What were you doing there again? I worked with the International Labour Office promoting entrepreneurship in for young people.
1: What in All Switzerland? All over the world. All over the world. So what did that job involve?
0: It was actually a rollout of a training program. We we had like thousands of universities and vocational training institutes involved where we were teaching this program to young children or to high school kids, like, you know, saying that entrepreneurship is an option or even if you go into and
1: employment be enterprising in how you deliver your work ah, so you're trying to get people to set their own businesses up like exactly can you think of an example of something that that you did there that was really amazing that you like to share so I wasn't the one delivering the training my job was more around coordination
0: and facilitation of making that happen yeah but it was a great program to be involved in and the greatest challenge that we had because we had these teams like in all over the world And all our stakeholders spoke different languages, had different approaches to life and to working. So bringing that all together, to work together, it was a huge program, as you can imagine. That was not only a challenge, it was a huge learning curve,
1: because it was my first job. And how many women were there with you?
0: So in the UN, I feel that uh, the ratio may not be ideal, but there are quite a few women.
1: Especially Especially young women.
0: Especially young women, middle management. I'm not so sure about senior leadership. Yeah. But definitely UN has a lot of amazing programs to promote women. So So, they have to walk their own talk.
1: Yeah. So how did you end up going from university and getting a job in the United Nations? Most people would dream of something like that. Yeah, but
0: you would be surprised you're never happy with what we have. So (laughs) living in Geneva, that's home
1: to UN. So it was just natural. So most people ended are finishing at university? No, or...
0: actually, I went to a business school, right? So most of my friends went to consulting companies like McKinsey or something or worked with Google in those cool places. And my dad actually encouraged me to do my, when I was doing my master's thesis, we had to do an internship. So my father encouraged me to apply for the UN. And he said, knowing you, I think this is what will be exciting for you. I wasn't sure if I trusted him at that time. But I said, okay, if you want me to, I'll do it. No one wants to
1: listen to their parents at that age.
0: Yeah, but I'm so glad I did. (laughs) Once I was there, it was a three-month internship, and when I finished, I was offered a permanent job. That's how it happened. Yeah,
1: I'm so glad that I did that. I mean, everything you've talked to me about, you have amazing parents. Thank you.
0: I definitely do.
1: So, um, is there any... Like, you have an amazing story. Like, how did you actually get to Switzerland?
0: So my father was, um, he was posted to Geneva and he worked with the World Trade Organization. So that's how we moved as a family. And after my father finished his tenure, my parents moved back, but my brothers and I stayed on. So Switzerland is a second or a third home for us. Third home.
1: So where's your first home? Pakistan. Whereabouts? In Islamabad. That's that's the the city where my heart still lives. Yeah. So did you grow up there?
0: Uh no. Because of the nature of my father's job, we moved every two years. Where else did you live? <laughs> all I don't know over. About that. <laughs> we lived all over Pakistan. Name it. We lived there. We lived in as remote areas as bordering Afghanistan. So, my father was posted as, um, as what's the right word? As an administrator, to manage these towns, and just. And he loved those areas so much that he did not want to move to the city. He loved his work. And he was quite known for his bravery and all those things, you know. So I'm quite amazed by him, as you can see. He's still my hero and all this will be. So wherever he was posted, he started making schools, so that we could go to school. He faced so much opposition, and now, decades down the lane, nearing, 30, uh, nearing the third decade... The schools are still there. They have changed the socioeconomic conditions of those small towns. And it has empowered so many young women so, who have graduated and gone on to do big things.
1: So, what did he do to get a school started? For you personally, what do you remember in those schools?
0: We had a school to go to, otherwise, there was no school in the area. That's what I remember, the first thing.
1: But everybody. And then, and then people just showed up for the schools? See, because
0: his position was to manage that town anyways. So he had the resources to do it. That's why, but he faced a lot of opposition because these are tribal regions where women have to be covered and they're not allowed to step out of the houses sometimes. For them to come to a Kuwait school was like unimaginable. So I think this, I actually asked my father this question recently. I said, how how did he just even work because the tribal practices have elders and every decision is made by them there's lots of tribal rivalry it's it's a very complex setup and infrastructure in those towns is really poor right it's it's barren rocky land there's no agriculture life is very difficult so i asked my dad how he did it and he said i first of all i just observed how they work, because I wanted to be one of them, not an outsider. So when he made any decision regarding the region, he would just facilitate the conversation, not impose a decision. And in the end, so most of our schools were built where the land for the school was
1: uh, donated by the community. So somehow through being one of them, yeah. The conversations around how schools could be helpful for the community, yeah. rather than like a dictatorship coming in and saying you have to have schools, yeah. and, and, we I, received... and we need that land for the school. Yeah. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And my father received a lot of threats from the local people, including threats to us, the kids. But he wasn't. Nothing could uh, make him step down from
1: his mission. Basically. Wow, that's an amazing story.
0: Yeah.
1: And the schools still exist there. Schools exist. And girls can go still and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. and uh, and our graduates have gone on to do big things in life.
1: Wow. Well, you're one of them.
0: I'm one of them. So I went to those schools. My brothers, yeah. So uh, we went to those schools like uh, in our younger years. As we grew older, we were sent to boarding schools. So then I... I grew up in a Catholic convent. Whereabouts? In Pakistan. Oh, wow. It's a town right close to Islamabad. one I drive up in the hills, it was a beautiful building built by the British. So that's why I have this love for like, you know, very um, old buildings, which look very British, very European. <laughs> that feels home. Amazing yeah.
1: story. I think there'd be so much we could all learn from that. In, in the sense of working with people, not in hierarchies.
0: Anywhere in the corporate life, in the business life, I think that principle applies everywhere.
1: Yeah, and we're going to talk a bit about that later, but that's really when we when I know some of your work is in transformational leadership and yeah. coaching in, orga- in corporations and organisations, and we were talking about that earlier, and really... Leadership doesn't just go to corporations, it goes to your own life, right? And how you manage your family. And that one principle that your father applied in those regions really applies in how we all should live, in a way. Yeah, and if you were to look at it practically, so most of the
0: transformation leaders in corporate environment use a lot of new ways of working, including agile design thinking. And this is exactly what those tools do. When you're applying, if you're facilitating a workshop using design technique tools, you're using a lot of post-it notes. So basically, everyone in a room is getting a chance to
1: say what your opinion is. So that's called co-design, co-creation? Exactly. But where's the problem is that that nothing's really changing, in a sense, even though we've got all these new tools? There's some change, but people are very resistant to those changes. Is that your experience, or...? Not really, anymore.
0: I would say one thing, having worked in some of the largest
1: companies globally. What would be one of the examples that you're allowed to say? I would just say would how be. I see it. Yeah. It's like
0: organizations have a soul and energy of their own, not just the people in it. And these are complex structures, man-made structures that we have built, which are creating limitations for us. So we have created it, and now we want to uncreate it. It's not going to be that easy. So it's just, it's going to
1: take its time. We cannot expect an overnight change. So in your experience in, out in the world doing this work, have there, have there been any like aha uh-huh moments for you where you've seen that something you've done does make a change that leads to something that you weren't expecting to see inside a company or something else?
0: Uh, I wouldn't take the name but in one of the companies where I saw that they were doing the work that needs to be done the way it should be done and it was a very exciting project to work on but in the end it wasn't accepted it wasn't well received by the organization so there is there are there are many leaders out there women and men who are taking the initiative to make the work environment I wouldn't use the word inclusive and engaging, I would just feel where people want to come and work every day. They don't think it's, I'm
1: going to work, they still feel alive. So can you, so let's just, let's just go down on that point for a second because I'm very curious because okay. everywhere I know is undergoing some kind of restructure because the old way can't sustain itself. Academia, business, it's, it's not just corporations, it's schools, it's everywhere, sure. right? So when you talked a little bit, I would like to know a little bit more about um, what you would describe as some of those things that can make people want to come to work every day and not feel like they're just going to some cubicle and they're in some rat race. Mm-hmm.
0: The woman that I've worked with, I've heard phrases like, uh, I put on a mask as soon as I enter the office, or I become a robot, so I can't wait to step out and be a human again. Right there are many very senior leaders who still don't feel safe at work. So there are, so when clients, for example, come to you, they might say that I feel feel anxious, or I just don't like what I'm doing, I want to realign myself. But once you start working with them, it's much deeper than that. Because these people had ambitions to make this world a better place. At a very high abstract level, it could be like they wanted to find their purpose, right? But if you break the purpose down, it simply means what is it that you really care about in the world, where you want to
1: contribute something. It's as simple as that. But they're finding that they can't do that in their current workplace.
0: Yeah. So sometimes... Well, they go in there
1: thinking they can, but the way their work is that they can't, is that what it is?
0: It's a very complex question, because everybody's situation is very different. Sometimes you need to move, move out of where you are. Sometimes you just need to realign, work with your brain, with your heart, reset basically, and you see that where you are is a good spot. So sometimes we just don't see it, sometimes it's not the right place for us and we need the change. Mm -hmm. So it depends for every person. But the bottom line is that you don't have much control sometimes over external circumstances. Sometimes you need the job, let's be practical, right? But you can still do the inner work. You can still do the inner work to feel safe at work you can still do the inner work to go and create a better team
1: make a human to human difference have you done this yourself yes so can you tell us what you did oh okay (laughs) like like just like think of a difficult situation and how you transformed it I think that'd be great by doing the inner work
0: yeah I have come a long way so if you ask me tell me one thing it's like I can't even like it's been hundreds of books it's been tens of teachers that's fine it's been lots of yeah. like you know but I was a I'm a person who cannot meditate let's start from there I'm a very restless soul right I'm too busy you put me there for five minutes I'll be like am I done is it already five minutes So those mind, mindfulness tools wouldn't work for me. But I, what I did find that silence could mean different things. And we need those moments of silence during the day. So while you're at work, when you're having this long 10, 12 hours day, so just taking a walk, getting a coffee, I feel you, anything that makes you use your senses, because you're using your intellectual brain while you're at work. So the other part of the brain I feel is missing out. Well. You're the doctor, (laughs) you're the specialist. I can't tell, I don't know much about it. That's as much as I understand. So I feel just activating my senses in some way helps me reset during the day. And also I like to visualize like, you know, currently in my life, my kids are most important. That's what makes me happy, alive, everything. So having their picture on my desk, for example, is something like if I am feeling low or if I like, you know, sometimes you have to send an almost sick child to childcare and you're still thinking, mm. and then you look at that picture and, you, and that smile and you say, all right, that's mine, they're, they're still mine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like little things. So I have think. you
1: noticed, um, I mean I do coaching of people in this space around these ideas and do you notice that when you take this stillness or this time that it has a flow on effect to other people in your team? It definitely does because
0: in my um, in my role like my background is in change management and now I'm specializing in leadership development so that means facilitating a lot of workshops where people have to make some important decisions so it is it is really important that I'm showing up as the best version of me and I have that energy that I take into the room with me yeah and I'm focused on other people not caught up in my own
1: thoughts yeah I talk about this a lot um... I did, you know, in corporations and and in other places that if you're not, if your brain's going off inside at 100 miles an hour thinking about 10,000 things, there's no way you can hope to do any kind of change or take on change at work. Yeah. So that's why we become very resistant to change.
0: Absolutely true.
1: And so that's where the inner work really matters first.
0: Yeah. I think achieving that silence is really important because I have been there in my life where I had tons of voices in my head, and half of them telling me that I'm no good. Yeah, and where did it come from? Do you think? I think it really helped when I stopped and even analysing that. <laughs> I took it. Well, like, that's, for know...
1: sure. that's for sure. <laughs> that's that's the one thing I do know. But it's still interesting yeah. to, to because there's you know everyone has this going yeah. on. It's you're not alone. As I say, I like like to say none of us are really special in this regard. Um, It's just that we don't even, we're not really aware of it.
0: Yeah, I think what that held me back from was owning my own brilliance. So So, can you
1: describe what you mean by that a little bit more? Because it's not being selfish, is it?
0: No, it's, I mean, see, I am, for example, I don't find anything wrong with saying that I know I'm an intelligent person. Right. By saying that, I'm not being boastful, I'm acknowledging myself for the gift that God has given me, for example. So in school, I didn't study much, but I always got good grades and I just took them for granted. Like my, my mom, when I was in a boarding school, she would call me, first, second, it was like a given, you know. And
1: uh, That's really And I went great... on
0: to, like for my graduation, I changed my major subject three months before the final exams and I topped in the whole country. For example that was geography because I love geography I was like why am I reading literature so if I really want to do something I totally know that I can so what I see the process of creation is because I don't build it I let it come to me and pass through me and take some form in the world that's how I see brilliance you have to step out of the way to let it come
1: That's um, also like spiritual undertones.
0: I know that now. I didn't know it before. (laughs)
1: So So how did you know to do that? Like at a young age, I've never heard someone talk like that about intelligence before. I just functioned like that.
0: And I think like, you know, looking at all the great work that my parents were doing, for example, with the schools and a lot of other charity work that they do, just looking at them, I thought, Everybody lived an exponential life. So for us, exponential was a normal, including my brothers. They are the same. So like in my early 20s, when I graduated, I was already an international speaker, invited to like, I was a youth ambassador for the Commonwealth Foundation, for example, speaking at international forums about youth entrepreneurship and advocating climate change and those things. So it just came naturally to me. But what happened was that my life took a downturn once I became a parent. Because with both of my children, I had post depression after each child. And my life became so busy between parenting and trying to tip those goals that I wasn't sure if I was capable anymore.
1: So can we just put a full stop there for one second, a little pause? So having those children, Mm -hmm. you can't control the kids in some sense, right? So this is where you were saying things come through you. Yeah. forgetting things, doing things really well on a, on a test and all of that, getting invited, you know, your brilliance, your intelligence. But then when you have kids, everything, like I noticed the same thing for myself, all of a sudden it's not in your control anymore yeah. in some sense. Do, is that the feeling too, do you think? For me,
0: I think I was just too physically busy to even have time to think about anything.
1: So for me, it was more around physical exhaustion, I would say. So it all caught up with you? It all all caught up. the things you were doing before you had the kids? And then those critical voices in my head became more real. So were you traveling the world to give those talks before you had the kids?
0: Yeah, I did. The farthest trip that I did on my own was to the Caribbean islands. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So this is for the United Nations?
0: This was for the Commonwealth Foundation.
1: Right. I don't know what that is.
0: It is like one of the international bodies, like the UN, working to, on different projects around the global improvement agenda. Okay. Yeah. And it's focused on the Commonwealth countries. Okay. Yeah. So parenting is the most beautiful thing, but uh, nobody can tell you what it means until you become a parent. So <laughs> I think that's like, that's a new chapter in life.
1: So, you know, what, so can you remember a moment in those first... Was it, When you are pregnant, it was probably fine, right? It was after you had the kids. Okay, let's go a bit backward.
0: So the way I grew up, I was achieving everything the way life should be lived. Like, you know, anybody who tells you you're successful if you have this, this, this. So I had it all. Let's start from there. Perfect upbringing, perfect parenting... Already traveled the world, like, you know, so ticked all those boxes. Great degree, great job, all those things. Now what happens that, so I thought that it was at that time, I feel that I'm so intelligent. I will be able to do anything in life. So I own it. I'm not acknowledging that there's a universal intelligence that I'm a part of. That's where I went wrong. Or maybe a better way to say it that I didn't know. So when did you find that out?
1: The moment when you, when it kind of occurred to you?
0: So I was talking about my burnout. That was like the breaking moment. So I simply resigned from my job at one of the leading consulting companies at that time, who expected a lot out of me that I couldn't deliver. And I went back home to Pakistan. I just gave up. As simple as that. And I don't feel ashamed of saying that. So I covered that in my TED talk. And So this is like, I will just repeat two words from my TED talk. So I called my mom and I said, and I was, I just cried. And I had never been open to anyone about it. Nobody could even imagine what I was going through all these years. And she said, come home. So in my TED talk, I said, those two words saved me. Like literally they did. I went home for about two months. And in the beginning, I just cried, nothing else. And there was nothing majorly wrong in my life. It was just that whatever was happening on the inside, on the outside things were still good. Did you have the kids then? Both of them. My daughter was six, seven months old and my son was about four years. But during that time was like, you know, when you hit the bottom, this is your worst case scenario. And after that,
1: the clouds lift, the clouds go away. So, but but it doesn't just happen like the clouds lift.
0: It did happen if you take the time to just rest and do nothing
1: yeah but it took a lot of crying a lot of nurturing from your parents yeah a lot of good food (laughs) homemade food (laughs) the smell of that food the smell of home basically whatever that means but to have welcoming parents which is unusual too not everyone has that yeah i'm very fortunate yes very fortunate um but can you remember i've got another friend who i hope to interview and something similar happened, not quite the same, and her mother one day came in and said, okay, that's enough crying, get out of bed and start walking. Okay. <laughs> Did any of that happen for you? Uh, not exactly, but in a positive way. My mom
0: was like, can you get out of bed and go to the salon, please? <laughs> get some Medicare, Medipenita, and go and get a blow dry, you know? But that was a good thing. That pushed me to, like, you know, start going out and slowly start meeting my friends. Yeah,
1: so the, so the veil started to get less kind of opaque and start to clear up and you start to see the blue sky again is what you're saying
0: yeah so basically that was my reset time and i reprioritized like i knew the job that i had i had to resign from it and there was nothing wrong with the company i was in my life at a point where it wasn't the right job for me so i can't say anything about the organization that's not fair yeah it's just my choice So after that, I I had another job offer by the time I went back.
1: And after that, I've only worked part-time. So would you say during that time you would just label yourself as depressed or anxious or anything like that when you went home? Or not really?
0: I've been through real anxiety in between this whole time. And I was actually so anxious that I couldn't... I
1: couldn't go out of one kilometer of my where okay. I live. So you're more worried about your future than the past, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that I'm looking for labels, but it's just curious because yeah. um, I did another podcast with a woman from New York. Her her podcast is called Hope to Recharge. Okay. And I described when I went hit, hit bottom, mine was more depression than anxiety. Maybe it was both. Um, and described the minute I got out of bed. And went and looked at a waterfall and made my, and But I was doing brain training because I studied, you know, as you know, I've studied yeah. the brain for a really long time. And what's happening with you is happens with many, 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 many people, many people. And it's because the brain will only take so much and then it stops yeah. and then it just shuts down, right? Basically, I think that literally describes my situation. My brain just shut down. Yeah, it said, sorry, yeah. that's it. We're yeah. done. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me. And unfortunately, I was actually studying the brain, so I should have known a lot better (laughs) than I did. Yeah, but I'm so glad that you could do that. It's really wonderful for your kids too, to be surrounded by your parents while you're going through that as well. So can you describe a little bit? So you took about two months, would you say? Yeah. And then what did you do after that?
0: So I came back.
1: Where's back? (laughs) came back to Sydney, at that time I lived in Sydney, and I had gone home to Pakistan where I did my research. So you weren't in Switzerland anymore or? No.
0: So I I moved from Switzerland to Pakistan for a couple of years where I got married, had my first child, and then we moved to
1: Sydney. Got it. Yeah. So boarding school, then then Switzerland. But you also had the move to Sydney that would have been contributing to it as well. Because it's a new place.
0: Yeah, but yeah. new places like... I, I like doing oh, those kind of things. Okay. Those are my things. So okay. it was wouldn't. So we didn't have any friends, but once we came, of course, we made a lot of friends. And yeah. So can't complain about that. It's yeah. been a g- great experience. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, so then you came back and... I
0: came back and I started working part-time with a new company. I had a great team. But around that time, I realized that uh, in the long term, I wanted to do something different. That's where I did a bit of research and found coaching in the person development space as an option. So I went, I did my first certification and, you know, once you get into it, it's so addictive. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, worked with some really like best coaches around the world and all those trainings. So that not only helped me, gave me the knowledge, it gave me the healing. It gave me the empathy, the openness, the kind of people that I connected with. So I think it was that whole, that decision was not the best career decision that I made. It was also the best decision for my own growth.
1: And you mentioned to me you're working with, you've working. you worked in some pretty big places. Yeah. And we can't really name them, I guess. But um, you are saying how, for you, what was very important was having good mentors. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it helped you? Yeah. So the famous
0: saying goes that you're the average of five people you spend most of your time with. So you better choose wisely. (laughs) And it's good to have really good friends. But your friends, if they're your age especially, they only know as much as you do. Or around that. But if somebody is ahead of you in any way, like in parenting, in your career, whatever, they can see a broader picture that you might not be able to see. So having those people in your life that you can trust and take their advice. You don't have to follow it. But look for their guidance and support is, I think, really, really important. And in my career, my mentors have cre- have played a very important role, including my first boss at the UN.
1: So, can I just ask you, how do you, how do you? I could hear people already saying, how how do you know who you can trust? Your body tells you. If I can just say that. Well, <laughs> teach people how to do that. I will give you an example. Because not everyone's intuitive or t- tuned into.
0: I'll give you an example. Our lovely common friend, Cherie. She is one of the most beautiful people that I know, and I'm so blessed that I know her. She's a friend and a mentor. So we worked together in a company, and she wasn't directly part of my team. I saw her present at one of the sessions. What was she presenting? Do you remember? She was leading the Agile practice, so it must have been something around Agile, but it was Can a work. Can you
1: explain to the audience what Agile is?
0: Agile is a collaborative way of working or running a project. And instead of creating a whole program that this is how we'll deliver in six months, you actually work in shorter two-week sprints. So it's like test and improve, test and improve until you deliver. And normally teams stand in front of a whiteboard where you can see what tasks are to be done and what are complete. And every week the team stands there. So it's extremely collaborative, very visible. And you can you, can like, you know test and
1: learn and improve every step of the way. So you're saying that instead of like having a whole big project management outline mapped out. Exactly. And that the six months you go, oh, that didn't work. Yeah, because dynamics,
0: even the market changes so much. Maybe the customer wants something else in six months' time. So it's, it's really a good way of working. But in saying that, every project is not suited to be agile. So we have to make those decisions. Because
1: some things just take time to build.
0: Yeah, some things have to be done the traditional way. So Sheree basically specializes in transformative and agile ways of working. So she was leading the practice for that company at that time. And she presented something around the agile model or something that she was working on. But just it was something, the warmth that she had in her presence, it was, I think, just simply that. And I was interested in the subject as well. So I just sent an email to her saying, I loved your presentation. Would
1: you have time to catch up for a coffee in the coming weeks? So you didn't what, know me. What, made, what gave you the uh, courage to do that? Because this is where people think that they shouldn't do that. Well, me? people are more open than you think.
0: So get over yourself and just do it. To the max, that person won't reply. You haven't lost anything, right?
1: So <laughs> I would just say so don't overnight. Do it. Do you actually it. coach people to do this kind of thing? Yes. As strategy?
0: I help them to get over themselves. Mm. <laughs> Step out of the way.
1: <laughs> Let the universal intelligence. Play exactly. Its part.
0: Yeah. So we connected, and so first time we meet, I was actually so. Whenever you catch up with somebody, have an agenda and set context. When you meet, say that I'm looking for an outcome. I'm looking. To, I'm looking for advice on something in making some decision while working in this company. Would you like to guide me? So the other person appreciates why we are meeting. What's the outcome that we're moving towards? So I said, would you be my mentor, please? As straight as that. And she said, yes. So once I had that yes, I came back to my desk. It was lovely catching up. I booked in another catch up for after six weeks. So then we are not feeling, should I do it? Should I not do it? Because we've just spoken about it. She said, yes, it's in our calendar. And I kept doing it every six weeks. And now that we don't work in the same place anymore, we still catch up, like, if not every few weeks, every few months, yes, and regularly stay in touch.
1: So tell me what you got during those first, like, catch-ups in terms of your work or your life. I started believing in good leaders
0: to begin with. I found a role model who was a parent and had an important job, and she was balancing it and she has three kids too she's got three kids and at that time i think her kids were much younger so going through high school and things like that which is a very critical time for a parent so i learned a
1: lot from her yeah so what how did you apply it with your kids and balancing your job what was did you do, do you remember any specific strategies that you used like in general in parenting yeah.
0: see one thing is Sometimes we tend to forget that these little people are the most important and precious people in our lives. Right. When we are getting angry, when we are getting irritated or short-tempered, we forget. We can't do that at work because we know people won't take it, but we still do it to our kids. So I think it's most important to remember again and again and again.
1: So how do you stop yourself when you've got to get to the train and then they've, they've got to be at school in the next five minutes and they're still cleaning their teeth or not? or still in bed even like tell me what you use okay there are two things Um, because i wish i did this because i never did i just remember throwing my daughter's clothes all over the floor because she was really (laughs) fussy about what she wants to wear and Yeah. yeah school was five minutes time and i was already late for work i'm like just pick something to wear And I'm saying it really nicely now. It was not nice at that point.
0: (laughs) I have those mornings too because my daughter only wants to wear pretty frocks.
1: (laughs) Well, Ella didn't like any of the clothes I'd chosen for her either. (laughs)
0: Okay. Yeah, so my daughter does ballet. That's why she's really into tutus and pretty frocks. And she wants to wear the ballet outfit everywhere she goes. She's so into it.
1: So how do you stop yourself when you know, like, I don't know if you've done this, where you've got an email that's just come in and said we need this now from work. Yeah. And then you've got all of this going on at the same time with lunches and getting the kids out. How do you stop yourself doing that thing that we all do? So there, okay, let's say that two or three
0: things. With kids, just number one, starting. I would say, well, obviously I'm not always perfect. So I do have my days where these things happen. But choose your battles. Do I really want to fight over that dress? I've decided no. She can wear that pretty frock to work every to work, to care every day she chooses, right? Second thing is that going to a convent boarding school, I'm quite like discipline is the way I work. So our routine in the morning, I've told kids, I'm sorry, but we have no time to play in the morning. We do start our day with cuddles in the bed for five minutes. And if we miss that, it becomes a crazy morning. So we have a ritual where all of us connect as we start the day. It is very reassuring for them
1: for me. But and what happens when you miss that because we sleep in? <laughs> yeah, this unfortunately in the morning, I am an early morning
0: person, I wake up at 5.30 oh, in the morning.
1: Oh, well, well done.
0: <laughs> and we sleep by 9 o'clock,
1: so I'm not, oh dear, it's just, it's just bringing, well, you know, my kids are grown up and it's just bringing me back to, oh, it, like, I didn't know anything, I didn't know what I was doing back, oh my goodness, I'm just so glad my kids are alive. <laughs> i have those days too oh, no mine were multiple days like that oh dear like i just so wish i could that's one thing i wish i could take back in time because i like i just look back at myself now and i'm like like i remember slamming all of the uh cereal boxes because i used to have to put dinner you know the breakfast out and ella refused to have her hair brushed and her hair okay. ended up in massive knots and so i end up and this is horrible to say because I didn't even know back then. I end up giving her chocolate waffles. Okay. So I could brush her hair. But then she became addicted to chocolate waffles. Oh dear. This is so many things. Anyway. It's we just all funny. all have isn't? our list of
0: so many things. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear.
1: Yeah. It's really funny. And, and, and I'm still in and that, that stage. Yes, I know. <laughs> we'll have many more of these memories. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Um, it's just to make it like you know, to be real yeah. about the yeah. back and then you then you get then you show up at work and you open your office door and you take a deep breath.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I've been lucky with the teams that I've worked with and I think in Australia work life balance is like a real thing. For a working moms there's lots of flexibility and people are right re- like sometimes if I'm working from home, if I'm on a call I might have kids in the background if they're not feeling well. And everybody's okay with that. So I haven't really faced I think if you're open to people about your challenges, yeah. so you set some sort of agreement and sort of unsaid expectations, that makes a lot of difference. Yeah. And
1: people are, as I say, more open, more appreciative than you think. Yeah. Well, we want to talk a little bit about leadership and um, it all starts at the top, doesn't it? So yeah. who So who, who's at the top really does drive, in my opinion, from the places I've worked, Yeah. The feeling, the vibe, the the uh, passion for the people in the organisation, like wanting to help out and make a difference. I think it all starts at the top. I really do. I, I mean, I know it's also bottom up, and you can make a difference individually, but the leaders really do play a big role, don't they?
0: They do, and that's why, like. In my way of work in coaching and training, I choose to work with the leaders because if you're influencing the people who have the power to create that influence, so I've done my part.
1: So can you describe some of the challenges the leaders face in trying to, one, drive a profit and two, look after the people that are helping them drive the profit?
0: I think sometimes they
1: can be conflicting priorities
0: because sometimes you have to make more money for the business. And that doesn't always align with the way you want to lead to meet those goals, depending on what you're responsible for, right? For them, work-life balance is even more difficult because they have a lot of travel to do. They have more responsibility than we realize. And in all of that, they still have to make out time to be available for the team at a human level. So even if there's a leader who really has this good intention of creating a very engaging, inspiring workplace, it
1: requires time to drive that culture and make it a reality. So can you just describe some examples where people are doing it well, in your opinion?
0: So, for example, one of the leaders that I know, and um, so her vision was that she wanted her team to be known as Sydney as a way where people wanted to work where people felt safe and it was fun and it was engaging and all of those things. And she was in a in a position where she had the power or the decision-making authority to make things happen, right? But when we started, we started by her being caught too caught up in her own thoughts. Even though she cared about people, she wasn't in a place where she could make that difference. So initially, when you do the warm-up, it's like helping that leader herself or himself take themselves lightly. Get over those thoughts. Find that grounding place in silence. Find ways during the day to check in being so busy. And at a top leadership level, there's more politics at play, unfortunately. So while in the whole dynamics, there will always be a couple of people whenever you're presenting or something who would disagree with you. And that's part of the game. If you're playing that bigger game, it's part of the game. So managing all those things and not analyzing the situation, not only people, being more forgiving at a leader to leader level, that's where you start. This is what I felt with the top leaders. Because your team will not always be on the same page as you, and being okay with that. So once you have created that space for yourself, that's when you start working with the team below you. And some of the leaders have teams directly reporting into them, and then those teams have reportees. So, again, these are different lines. And with those teams, you can do things differently. So, with your own reporting line, for example, start creating that culture. Start having more, I would say that, you know, even having um, sometimes little things like a lunch out for the team. It doesn't have to be big things, it is just that message that you're giving that I'm open, you can come and talk to me. You can simply start from there. Well, you
1: actually go to the lunch too. Is what you're saying? You don't. Just... Yes,
0: you do. Yes, you do. And you are, you. So great leaders create great leaders. So in their reporting line, who are also managers for many other people in their teams, so they're an example to those leaders to become the leaders that their team members will want will become as they grow into their career. So I think. So it's, it
1: really... it's actually. Um, it's the, Mine, mine's a different experience but the thing that I've discovered is that every single person no matter what has something that they want better for themselves yeah and you have to expect and appreciate that that's what people want yeah not just you yeah and you not. and I think there's a big difference from what I've seen between uh managers versus leaders because leaders yeah. really bring everyone with them and people want to work for them and they and they really believe in their vision versus managers where people are just trying to just stay for as minimal time as possible and leave. Yep. At a spiritual level, managers are still taking the goals.
0: And the leaders really know that they they are here for a purpose. And they do want to leave a legacy. Before they so leave what the were you world. saying about the managers or what? So the difference I see between managers and leaders so managers are people who are just um, who are not looking at the big vision
1: don't care to they just want to do their job and get become higher up
0: and it's just about them it's not about other people so much so when I say get over yourself it also means that you know once you're so focused on helping and caring and serving other people so it's not that yourself should be a priority but you you don't get caught up in your own thoughts, you know, in your own selfishness or something. All of us have that part
1: somewhere. So that's just a reality of being a human. Um, and what would you say in terms of people out there that are either in charge of teams or working in, uh, as part of a team? Uh, what would be one thing that you would describe as? even for yourself uh, something really valuable that can make the team function better or you know
0: um, so one exercise that I've found to be really um, that works in almost every scenario that is so it it's like a self-reflection exercise with the whole team that you do together with a big boss in the room and what you do is that you ask everybody you help them build a vision for the next 15-20 years not just one year and then we bring them back every five years. What is it that you must have achieved to be there? And how can your current company help you? What is really important to you? So we cover things like, you know, what's your first love? What's your top motivation? So from personal this is to professional them, life. for for
1: their life, or for the company's life, the 15 or 20 years?
0: So we combine the two. So we are creating an alignment into personal aspirations and the business goals. So that's where, like, you know, you're creating this inspiration and motivation for that person to come to work every day because they now know what is in it for me. That's really important. And when we do that exercise with everybody in the room, they start seeing their colleagues as people. They really see that personal side, which we never talk about in our day to day life that creates in relationship and in terms of trust and feeling safe at work. It's it's a really nice way of doing it. And second thing I feel I found stakeholder based coaching really successful. What that means is that if you're working for with a leader, you ask that leader to pick up like three, four people, somebody senior to them, somebody at their level, somebody who reports into them, who will provide feedback for them and their growth every it can be every two weeks, every month, depend on how long you're working with them. Right? So we simply start by So that's like getting feedback.
1: Active feedback.
0: So the course that I learned this from calls it Feed Forward. So it's focused on what am I doing that you really like and is helping the team that I can do more of. So it's more future-focused. Yeah. So performance is basically
1: evaluated
0: on that feed forward that you're getting from these stakeholders, which is like completing a whole circle. Yeah.
1: I like how it's bottom and top and yeah.
0: all around. And it also aligns your performance with your personal values also helping the team, also for business goals.
1: Yeah, well, it makes me think, how can we bring that into our own real life? I have done it. (laughs) How? Tell me.
0: I actually did it with my children. We sat down and we simply said that, you know, what am I, for example, I said, what am I doing well as a parent? What can I do more of?
1: You asked them.
0: I asked them. And And what did they say? Well, we do it frequently now, but at one of the points where I was really busy, my son said, you stopped smiling.
1: Can you smile more, please? What did eye I open her, you know? That's such a great parenting tip. Yeah, and I do the same for them. So I give them feedback as well. So tell me some feedback you gave them (laughs) that they actually changed.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) let's be honest, it doesn't change too much. But you get to know things about your kids that you don't know. Yeah, say something like out of interest. So, for example, with my daughter, I realized that, you know, what she needs is, I know all kids need it, but with her, like my son doesn't need so much of my time. Like, you know, five, ten minutes and there, it's fine, but my daughter needs dedicated half an hour every day right so she started saying things like
1: when you say time you mean not on your phone you mean sitting with her doing sitting on the
0: ground playing with her toys only with her so she said for example can you come to my tea party every day that's what she wanted in one of these things she loves setting up those lovely tea parties with her toys and she wanted me to come to it every day I said okay let's negotiate can I do three days a week she said yes all right so we make a plan together like Friday is pizza night you know, and they're allowed to watch TV. On other weekdays, we don't watch TV. So we have this agreement. It's not like I've said it, you're not going to watch TV. So we decided, okay, Friday can be a movie night, but then we don't watch TV Monday to Thursday in the evenings. Agreed? Agreed. Sometimes we still have days where there's a tantrum for TV. It doesn't always work out. No, of course. Cool. Yes. But it's like, so I'm not imposing anything on them. They know that they made that decision.
1: So, th- so this is really, like, this is life, isn't it? It's... I mean, for all of us.
0: Yeah, but on the other hand, when my mum comes, they're allowed to do everything. <laughs> well,
1: that's, that's and okay. I just have to step back. That's okay. Yeah. It's better to have your mum here. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I think that's good for them too, because you can't be too regimented either, because then the kids will break out at some point. Yeah, so they're very close so to my So it's parents. kind of good to have the... You know what I mean? Have it and then not have it and then have it. Another uh, thing we
0: do is that you know. So
1: did your parents? Uh, did you do this with your parents, and they did it with you? No. This feedback thing. <laughs> no, no. So <laughs> I'm just thinking, so. who's at the top of you, so <laughs> <laughs> can give you the feedback, or who's with you on your side, like the.
0: To be very honest, I'm still like you know. I always want to be. I'm that kind of a kid who always wants to be in the good books of her parents. Yeah. I think I'm still that, (laughs) I have to admit. (laughs) Not in a bad way, in a happy way. Like, you know, so. (laughs)
1: Are are your grandparents still alive?
0: Uh, Only my grandmother from my father's side. Okay.
1: Are you close to her too?
0: I am close to her, but I was very close to my other grandmother who passed away when I was very young, Mm -hmm. like probably nine or ten. Yeah. So she was maybe more important to me than my own mom at that time. I
1: was very close to her. So I, th- I have to say that uh, I just want to emphasize that parenting tip because I think that could be helpful for a lot of people. Yeah. And then I think it's also a great tip for, for if you're looking after people yeah, to actually ask them true. what they want yeah. and come up with agreements.
0: Yeah. So don't assume, ask. Everybody knows what they really want. And while we are saying that, I think just one more parenting tip is like, um, especially on their birthdays and we have those just random weekends where we decide, okay, who's the boss today? (laughs) (laughs) Or who's the boss for the morning half? (laughs) And within reasonable limits, they get to decide whatever we're going to do that day. Are we going to the park? Are we doing shopping? Are we buying toys today? So even that day, they can even choose
1: to eat junk food. And what do they mainly choose? Out of interest,
0: buying toys is always <laughs> top of the list <laughs>
1: for both of them, for, the, for all of us. Yeah, we always want to buy toys. I know toys. it's bad,
0: but the thing is that our parents bought us a lot of toys, it did not spoil us too much, so it's okay.
1: Yeah, do they like reading? Yeah,
0: they do, and we do bedtime reading most of the days.
1: And as you know, not all this, all the days are the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience while we're here? Like what made you, how did you get to do the TEDx talk and what made you do that? I had a story that I just wanted to get out of me. It's a good idea. They say (laughs) that you need to clear your brain.
0: Yeah. So I think it was a good um, growth process for me. Just writing down my TED talk was extremely fun. And probably one of the first experiences where I realized that creation comes through you. You just step aside. So I didn't dedicate time to write that talk, for example. I worked with my dad. We would come to the dining table, write a couple of sentences, and then go away. And then I I would think, oh, we can change that sentence. Come back and do it. So it was done in that way.
1: It was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But one thing I would like to emphasize is that um, everything, like, you know, we think inner work is a lot of work, and let's do this, more on to-do list. Less is more. Everything in life, physical things, mind work, training, teaching, whatever you're doing, less is more. So can you describe what you mean by that? When I got into coaching training, I was doing all sorts of courses. First I learned how to become a coach. Then I learned how to build the business of coaching. But I had no time to really do the work because I was too involved in taking all these trainings and reading all the books. So I had to just stop I stopped even reading for a few months because there was so much inside of me that I had to come out in my own version and when I started writing content for social media it was a good outlet for me so whatever thoughts that I had I was giving them some shape and writing them down and they were like I didn't care what people wanted to listen to at that time so then I started saying what was engaging what was resonating but I did it for myself initially
1: what's the number one coaching tip
0: Uh, let's say being human tip and that's so from one of the coaches I learned that we are spiritual beings having a human experience so we are not human first we are spiritual beings first and our language is kindness it's a language that everybody from animal to a very senior leader to president of a state everybody wants and understands you can never ever go wrong with it and it begins at home with your kids children with your partner
1: with your parents what do you mean by kindness speak nicely speak
0: gently listen have make time to listen ask them what is it that they want empathize with an openness don't be judgmental it's in small things like this and if you just wanted to do one thing was listen It will tell you everything, but be present when you're listening.
1: So listening really is interesting, isn't it? It goes back to stillness and and in between the spaces. Um, I was having this amazing conversation with a guy from New York who started a company where they actually put uh, EEG recording electrodes on top of people's heads, like 365 of them, and then they're looking at advertisements on TV and they're trying to get a model for brain activity okay right to sell on to businesses for to improve their advertising hit rate okay and i was saying to him that i think it's really funny from a neuroscience perspective that basically they can't measure what they can't see because there's a lot of space between the things that are actually active yeah and so in the stillness exists the potential for change because that's where the new synapses can move to Okay, that's really interesting. Because you already have all this activity, right, and you're measuring it and you're trying to give people feedback, but actually where the change exists cannot be measured. Okay. Which is in the spaces, the stillness, the listening, not the speaking. Yeah. And I'm a terrible listener that I've been working on really hard to improve, and a podcast is a great way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But, and, and trying to get still has b- always been difficult for me too because it's like the next thing, the next thing let's do this, let's do that
0: Yeah. A practical tip is that just make sure if you're in a meeting or something that you're speaking less than 30% of the time
1: But you know the interesting thing in my experience um, in business meetings is the person that, there's, there's always one person who tends to be an excellent speaker and they just dominate and They'll be speaking and no one else will, this is, this is just my experience, would, no one would speak up. They'd just let him go on and on and on about all the subjects we all understood and knew, but no one interrupted.
0: Yeah. But there are times when you need to listen, times when you need to speak up, times where you need to lead by speaking. So you choose. Yeah. Sometimes you lead by listening, sometimes you lead by speaking, sometimes you lead by speaking up
1: for yourself or for someone. He had this amazing capacity, this particular person, to take what someone had said and spin it around and okay. say it in his own words, the same thing.
0: Okay. <laughs> we have a lot of people like that in the corporate environment. Oh, I th-
1: yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. And I think I was in academia, so I think we're not, uh, it's different. Yeah. So, but anyway, that was really interesting. So, and then I think being a woman in these corporate environments, um, we're not good at speaking up.
0: See, women have been in high positions only in the past 30, 40 years. So the world is still.
1: In the recent centuries. Like there was a time when we dominated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the world is just adjusting itself to the new norm. It's part of the natural cycle. We need, it's gonna. So we are moving progressively, I feel.
1: So can you um, think of some times when it's been very challenging for you being a woman in the workplace?
0: Uh, Fortunately, I haven't had any such experience because people even say that if you are an immigrant or just brown skin, normally people say that you face challenges or something. But I've never really felt discrimination at that level. So I feel that when my confidence was low, when I was going through my own struggles, it was more in what was happening inside of me than anything external. So at that time, I might have been more sensitive and might be overanalyzing things. So I think once you do step into your own power, you stand in your own grounding, the world will adjust itself. There will still be struggles. I'm not saying it will be perfect.
1: but How, how do we help people become more in their power, more grounded, get out of their head? Like, how do we do that? Because that's going to change the world. And I, like someone was saying to me um, in another interview recently, asked Selena, how do you think that this is not going to help people fast enough for the massive problems we're facing, right? Because, you know, they're talking about climate change and many other things that can take yeah. down the planet really quickly, nuclear warfare, etc. So, you know, how can we help people do that? Because I think... That's the key, because you're not the only mm. one. There's many, many people feel like that.
0: All of us do, and I can feel like that again in a few years. So I'm, we are always a work in progress. I feel that just the first step would be acceptance and gratitude with whatever, wherever your life is at. Just appreciate
1: appreciating what the goodness that you do still have. So even you're though, looking for the good, not just always thinking about the bad.
0: Yeah, so I have seen that if your focus is 80% of your focus is on where you're going instead of where you're coming from, that's really helpful.
1: So you're looking forward instead of backwards. Yeah. And also being present in that stillness, in of the course. moment. Yeah. Right, That's what you're talking about. Yeah. That stillness really matters because if you listen to a lot of different books, they're saying that in this moment, like if we just had everyone sit still right this second, you and I, there, there's no problem that exists. When you and I are sitting in just this very present moment.
0: And this moment is the only real thing that there is. Yes. So why worry about what has been or would be? It's very hard to do this in practice. <laughs> you are the sp- brain specialist. But one thing I've learned about the brain is that I'm the boss, not the brain. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's what we want to do. right? We want to get people to be the boss. This is exactly what you're talking about. How do we get to people to be the boss of the brain, not the brain to be the boss? Yeah, so the and brain,
0: what is about the future? Well, you the brain, don't.
1: yeah, well, because it's, and this is the piece that I think is missing, and that's the fact that the brain's been built over millions of years, and things are inherited, and the main job is just to stay alive, and so depending on which wiring you got, which generations, what you inherited, um, then basically the brain just goes off at 1,000x, and for some people, it doesn't because they had very peaceful environments, or they or they came from very peaceful lines. But the ones that don't, then they they just go off, you know, and they're not kind. They're not kind, and they can't be kind. They have no, they've never seen kind in their history. Yeah, and we, I mean, I think there's tons of examples of that there right are. now in leadership, very senior leadership positions. So, you know, that's the that's the challenge we face. But anyway. We're both very optimistic, aren't we?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So when you talk about this stillness, from a neuroscience perspective, I'd just like to build in a little bit for the audience. And what you're doing then by taking that stillness, you're actually pausing the actual emotional part of the brain from being overreactive. That's sending up its circuitry, its pathway up to the prefrontal cortex. So there's a strong physiology behind that stillness, that quietness and being in the moment. You're actually stopping the brain. So it's good to know it's backed up by science. Yeah. Well, it's not even just backed up by science. This is what should, people should know about how yeah. their brain works. Yeah. Because without knowing that, you'll we'll never change anything. You know, so anyway, that's the mission we're on, right? So I'm, I'm so grateful that you came and joined us today. Thank you've you gi- so you've much. You've given so many amazing tips. Thank you. I'm glad it could be useful. Yeah, so can you think of something you'd like to... Because this series is all about women on the rise. It doesn't mean it's not for men too. We love men as well. It's just we want to help demonstrate just how much female intelligence exists in the world and how it's being unleashed in really powerful, beautiful ways to help the planet heal and grow and change. Is there a personal motto or something you'd like people to take away that's got your name all over it? so they remember it from you? When I got into personal development, the first thing that I
0: had, and I got the domain and everything that says, let life coach you. So I feel that the way life is designed, there's lots of kindness in it. Life really understands the struggles that we need to go through to be the person that we're becoming. Life really knows the strengths that you need. And the way we are born, all of us, the role we are meant to play in the world, we were given everything to have that. So our differences are only our gifts. And that's why I've focused on deep listening, but I will, at this point, focus on speaking up. Shine, be visible, let the world see your gifts. And that's a gift you can give to the world.
1: I think that's a beautiful place to finish. So thank you, Sobi. It was so wonderful talking to you, meeting you. Thank you, Sheree. Love you. And I look forward to seeing what you do with your business. Do you want to say a little bit about that?
0: So I have chosen to work with people, especially women, in key influential positions because I feel they're already changing the world. That's not my part. If I can help them become more positive in the way they're working, I'm just accelerating the work that they're doing, basically. So that's my and what, part. And what's it called? I call myself Executive Life Coach. Right. And what's your website? It's sobiyazafir.com.au. And uh, I can share the link for my TED Talk. Yeah, we'll put it in the the
1: show notes for everyone that's interested. So thank you so much, and your children are beautiful, and congratulations, that's just wonderful. And as I like to say, that the worst that will happen through our podcast is that (laughs) your kids will get to see what an amazing mother they have. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. You Say I can't go with other boys And don't tell me what to do Don't tell me what to say And please, when I go out with you Don't put me on display cause you don't own me
0: Don't try to change